Our leader will now share for 20 to 25 minutes describing what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now. Our leader for tonight is Irene. Hi, thank you. Hi, I'm Irene, and I'm a composer and a leader. Hi, Irene. Um, I know a lot of people in this room, and they've heard my story so many times, and, um, well, that's the way it goes. Um, for those, well, maybe there'll be something in it that I didn't say before. Um, I came into OA 1972, um, 100 pounds more, about 100 pounds more than I weigh now. Um, I, my back had gone out. I had been overweight all my life, um, obese um, a good many years, um, and my back had gone out. I went to the doctor at Kaiser, the orthopedist. I really thought she was going to put me in a, I want to say a straitjacket, but no, I wanted a straitjacket. <laughs> I wanted it to stop me from eating. But, um, she just looked at me and she said, you have um, severe arthritis in your lumbar area. And she said, and it's caused by the weight you're carrying around. And she said, if you don't lose it, I was 32. And she said, if you don't lose weight, you're gonna be in a wheelchair by the time you're 50. And I, I, I felt like I was clutching onto her desk and saying, you know, and she was like, next, you know. Like, I got the feeling she's dealt with people like me and knew that, you know, not, I probably will go on gaining weight. That's how I felt because that's how I knew that's what was happening and that's what I know could happen. Um, there was no chance. I had tried for two years to, uh, every day, for two years I tried to, I had surgery two years before, and um, I was very nervous before the surgery that it could be cancer, and um, as it turned out it wasn't, but before, uh, when I get really depressed, I lose my appetite, so I haven't been depressed for that kind, I haven't had that kind of depression very much in my life because it's very rare that I lose my appetite. I'm sick if I lose my appetite. So um, when I was in the recovery room and the doctor was there to tell me that it wasn't cancer and to tell me what it was and what was going on, and after he left the room, I thought to myself, in the last three months, I've been so worried about this thing that I, ha I had lost my appetite, but I thought, now, for the next two weeks, I'm just gonna eat anything. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that pressure on me about dieting. I've been under such pressure, I'm not gonna worry about dieting for two weeks. <coughs> two years later, two years later, I could not stop. And not only that, it was getting worse and worse. And I, I had never eaten like that before. I had not, never known anybody that ate like that. I was full all the time. I never was hungry. I feel today that being hungry is a privilege because I, it was unavailable to me during that period 
or for most of my life, actually, with the kind of eating I did. And um, so, and here I was, my back going out and gaining weight very rapidly, wishing I was the weight I was three days ago when my clothes were less tight, still tight, but less tight than they were today. And whatever weight that was, because I wasn't weighing myself, I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare go near a scale. It was like, ooh, uh, some kind of a vampire thing, you know? <laughs> it was like, get away from that. Wouldn't go near it, didn't want any reminders. And um, so that, I came home from the doctor's office. My aunt was visiting from New York, who I hadn't seen in many years. Apparently she had lost 75 pounds in a year in OA. And she says, come to OA, let's go to a meeting. So I was, I was a Weight Watcher dropout, and meetings were like, forget it, I don't want to go to meetings. And, but I was so desperate that I agreed to go, and um, I was turned off because it wasn't a church, and I'm Jewish, although I'm an atheist, but a cultural Jew. And uh, I was really, you know, t yeah, I really had to push myself to just stop. I think in step two in the AA 12 by 12, it says to get out of the debating society. You know, I had to really drop that. That idea of, you know, telling my aunt, what is this? What is this about church? What is it about God? You know, um, so um, I sat there at my first meeting and I listened to how it works. I, did we read how it works tonight? Of course I wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, but that night I listened. And oh my God, it talked about um, um, going to any length, which I had never done in my life. You know, if I was on a diet and somebody says, oh, let's go for pizza or ice cream or whatever, I would think, okay, I'll, I'll get back on my diet right away. Oh, nothing, you know? And, of course, it was always a whole new weight-gaining series. But um, I was so desperate. I want, I, and I wanted the cravings to end. That, that's another thing. I wanted... Because what would happen to me, I would be able to stay away, like maybe for an hour, from eating. And all of a sudden, like, this thing would land in my mind. And I wasn't hungry, had no desire yet, and it was like this thing that I felt, it was like this, I have patience, and I know I'm going to wait. And it did, every time. And it was the cravings that would start. It didn't matter that I was full. The cravings, and they were always for high-carbohydrate foods. It, I never really had those kind of cravings for tomatoes or cucumbers or lettuce, you know, or apples, even though I remember one day I had six apples because I was trying to fight off a craving for something else. And I, and I ate six apples, and then I said, fuck it, I'm gonna eat it. I think it was pie. 
And, and I said, why the hell did you eat the apple? <laughs> I, you know, that I could have avoided. You know, it was to hold me off and it didn't work. So well, I came into OA and they talked about, and this was 45 years ago. They talked about carbohydrate addiction. And you don't hear it. You know, it's like alcoholism, folks. It's addiction. It has given me my life back. That just that knowledge, just that knowledge that I can no, I couldn't fight it. It had me in its clutches. It was destroying my every day, every single day. I I was a failure. I it had total. It was like a living thing on the platter, or in the box, or in the bag. It was this living thing that had this magnet, magnetism that I could not resist. And so in How It Works, where it said that, all, well, I don't know if it says this in How It Works, but all I have to do is stay away from it for today. Uh, half measures availed us nothing, going to any length. Um, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it. I never went to any length for anything except to get something that I was craving. Anything else in my life, I had never gone, the, even in a race when I was a kid, I never went the last, that I, the last step and that I would collapse. I never went to the point of collapsing. And at the meeting, I decided that I was going to, to overcome this. And they promised me that if I stayed away from all these high-carbohydrate foods, breads, rice, pasta, all grains, um, some, some fruits, not all, cherries, pears, watermelon, grapes, Mangoes, um, watermelon, I said, yeah. Most fruits I could eat. Um, that they promised me, if you don't take a crumb, there will come a day that you will no longer want these foods. And uh, it's like somebody tells me that. It's like, it, first I think it's BS. It's like, it's like, um, it's, it's like mysterious and magic. I don't believe it. But at the same time, she said, try it. And I thought to myself, and she said, within 21 days, you will have relief. I thought 21 days is a long time when I can't do it for an hour. <laughs> but I want, and she says, each day that you're abstinent from those foods, the next day will be easier and easier until you have total freedom. I wanted that. I really wanted this to end. I, I didn't want to have a life the way I was having because I became extremely self-conscious. I couldn't wear the clothes that I wanted to wear. It wasn't available to me. I, and besides, I didn't even look good in them. Um, just life was passing me by and I was 32 and I felt my 20s, you know, I felt like I was in a stopped car on a freeway and all my friends were just flying past me. 
and I wanted, I wanted to end. I wanted to have my, the real me back. That's what I really, I didn't want to be hiding anymore. I just wanted my life back. It's funny, when I look at pictures of me during those years, there's a sadness, I don't know if anybody else has this, that has been abstinent for a long time, but there's a sadness that comes over me, because I thought I didn't look so bad. I thought I was very stylish. I thought I wasn't hiding. And it shows the sadness is so gigantic that I just feel, God, please, I don't want to go back there. I really, this is the most important thing in my life, without exception. I know that's um, one of the phrases that you hear in the program, but it truly is because it's just, it takes a lot. It truly takes going to any length. I remember sitting there at my first meeting and thinking to myself, it's going to be painful. But I I wanted to suffer to get better. I was willing at my first meeting to suffer in order to get better. I was willing to go through this because I have to go through it in order never to have it again. And that's what I wanted, and it happened. I'm not going to say that I can't sit and have a gigantic piece of prime rib. Um, I love it, but it's rare that I do it because I won't be the size I am. But when I first came into OA, the object was to get off the carbs. And um, for any of you, first of all, I truly believe anyone who gets to, to, to be 100 pounds overweight 50 pounds overweight, 30 pounds overweight. You know, we're in a century meeting, but I remember at one time in my life I was only 30 pounds overweight and I, and I couldn't stop. So, um, this is true. The answer is the carbs. And, you know, we could fight it. We could say, I could eat Ezekiel bread, I could eat oatmeal. Try it. You know, I was, I was shocked. That woman was telling me the truth, and it worked. And I don't want it to, I don't want to lose it. I am, I am so careful with the carbohydrate part of my food plan, because once that craving starts, I have no fight. And now I've been abstinent for 45 years, I'm that much worse. I can't believe that I could be worse. But that's what they say. And there's something in it that I've already experienced. Because in gaining the weight and before, in my experiences before coming into OA, I had always gained more weight after I'd been on a diet and blew it. And I, it was always worse. So I believe that I'm 45 years worse. I'm, um, I'm not recovered. It, it, I have sentries on my shoulders, I feel, that are protecting me. Um, my whole family knows, you know, about my eating. It's no secret. Uh, it's no secret that, you know, at work, when I did work, I've been retired for many years now, I'd always close off the phones at 
lunchtime and sit and have my lunch, do the crossword puzzle, have my tea, and always go for a walk afterwards. And people would say, oh, Irene's so healthy. She eats so... And I would want them to say, no, it isn't. I'm not, I'm not doing this for health reasons. Well, it ultimately it was, but that wasn't my motive. My motive was that if I don't eat like this, the other side is um, a life of death. Walking, well, we're all walking to death, really, but it... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's my, my it, excitement for life is downgraded. It, I don't have it. So, um, so what did I do? I made, that, I made a decision to suffer in order to get better. No question about that. And it hurt. But I also made phone calls, and even though I'm an atheist by nature, I asked somebody, these demons that happen, when this craving guy comes into my mind, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to fight that? I've never been able to fight it. So she said to me, ask God to take it, because you can't handle that. And I wanted to dispute God and give her a, you know, a whole, showing her that I'm intelligent, I don't do things like that. And I just didn't argue, like for the first time in my life. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to try it. So when I was in my kitchen one day, I don't know what it was, something I wasn't supposed to be eating, I had my mouth open, about to clamp down on it. This is in my first few days. And I said, God, take it. I can't handle it. Voila. This, I, I guess it's the sincerity of the prayer that brings us the results that we're praying for. And because I really, my life was being destroyed right before my eyes. And I knew it. And I knew that this compulsion and the addiction were behind it and I wanted it to end. So, um, then I got into the steps. Okay, that was step one. <coughs> step two was a very big thing for me because I didn't believe in God, but I was reading the big book, which always gave me an anxiety attack because it felt like in the big book, the AA big book, I felt like you have to do this right away. You have to, you know, you have to do you know, one, two, three, immediately, you have to get to the fourth <laughs> step right, right away, right away. I was nowhere near being ready to do that. It took me three years and nine months to start it, so abstinent. So for some people, maybe it is important for them, but for me, um, I, I couldn't do it until later. But it did say at some point, I used to use the group for my higher power, and it says it's okay for a time, but at some point we must, use the word must, develop a relationship with a higher power. So I started to ask, um, there was, a, there was a, a former priest in the program at the time, and um, he's in Southern California now, but he used to live here. 
and there was a nun. Why I picked these people to give me advice, I have no idea. But they were fantastic. The priest said, just, well, my sponsor, too, told me to pretend. She said, pretend. Pretend that there's a God that you feel is pr protecting you. Total protection. <coughs> and just notice it. Or is that my... You have five more. Okay. Thank you. She, I, she, she said, just... The priest said to me, just notice that God is there all the time. Just start living like that. Don't argue it. Don't debate it. Just notice it. And he said, everything you lay your eyes on. Now, I was doing this out of desperation. It's not because I thought this was a good idea. I thought, oh, I'm not telling my family this. And, um, and so he said, everything you lay your eyes on, is, is you're viewing because there's something in it for you. There's something that you need to get out of it. And I started, and it's for the good, and I started, do, I started pretending. I started noticing that God was all around me. And, um, and I was doing this, and all of a sudden I felt I was at step three. I, I started to understand that God was really directing my life. And that all I had to do was align my will, which I have this thing about when I'm like off somewhere else, my mind, and I have ideas of how things should be. I feel like my will is over here, and this is God's right here, and I have to, and when I realize that I'm off, to ask God, God, please help me align it, align my will with yours, and I feel like it's, you know, this happens within seconds, you know, that I have this vision of being out here and, you know, praying, God, please help me align my will with yours for what's right to do, the next right thing. And um, so I was living like that, and before I knew it, or three years or nine months later, <laughs> I was ready to do my fourth step. I had done 10 steps, I jumped the steps, and I did 10 steps, uh, which gave me courage, actually, to actually do a fourth step. It took me a year to write it, and a friend of mine said, enough already, it's repetitious, you know. This was someone, a friend of mine in AA. She said, you're done. I needed someone to tell me I was finished because I was going on, and, um, and that was great. Not giving it away was really easy for me because I shared it. I shared the revelations I was getting from it every day with people I talked to on the phone. I, I couldn't get over the the fifth, the fourth step, which I that was when I heard all the steps listed at, at the beginning of meeting. The fourth step was the one that really scared me and making amends. And <clears throat> it was no more. A boogeyman. It was so. It was a gift of me to myself. The fourth step was really a gift for me, and um, to 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 understand who I really was. And it wasn't all terrible. Um, it was okay. And um, so by the time I got to the sixth, you know, and listed my defects, 
and um, asked God to, you know, help me with them. And then I got to the seventh step, and I, I, I found out uh, only about five or six years ago <clears throat> when we were reading the seventh step in the AA book um, at the Wednesday night meeting in San Francisco. <clears throat> There's a paragraph in there that, or a, a sentence in there that says, um, humility, is, we come to understand that humility is the healer of pain. I think it's the healer of pain, or the, I think it's the healer, I think it says the healer of pain. And I thought, why didn't I see this 40 years ago? You know, I mean, that, and, and so when I'm uncomfortable about a situation or something, I, I ask, how could humility heal this? How could humility take care of this? And sometimes I think, okay, I've got one for Bill Wilson because this nothing the humility's not doing it right now. But it always does in the end because I'll, I'll talk to people about it and I'll pose the question and I'll tell them the situation. And I think, how would humility? How how would I do humility here? And it has given me so much. So, they, you know, they talk about the 10th, 11th, and 12th steps, all the maintenance steps. But for me, it's the 7th, uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th. Because the humility thing, I, my mind doesn't want to go towards humility. I have to be reminded every day about it. Thank you all very much. <laughs>